0: home, and uh, I was sitting on my brother's couch day after a game. We were watching uh, Manchester United versus Nottingham Forest, and I was just saying like uh, how amazing it would be to be able to get this guy to come play for us. So, uh, you know, I joke my nephew, and now I'm a Surge 9 jersey because of that.
1: Well, Nashville SC is through to the League's Cup round of 32, despite losing at home last week to Toluca,
0: and uh, perhaps
1: more importantly, the new striker is finally in the door. Welcome in to the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective
2: disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the creator of ClubCountryUSA.com.
1: Tim, we're recording early in the morning uh,
2: because,
1: well, we didn't know what Nashville's fate would be until very late. (laughs) And weather in Denver, did us no favors. I planned to watch at 8.30 last night, central time, uh, the Rapids and Toluca. And then by 10.30, I was giving up and going to bed. It it apparently was played overnight uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, Toluca won, as expected. So Nashville's reward for that, second place and a third meeting with Cincinnati.
2: Again, it's something that I think uh, both fan bases are probably looking forward to from the rivalry perspective. I think neither of them was hopeful that, that they would get that opponent because I think Nashville is going to be a tough out for Cincinnati. But for obvious reasons, Cincinnati has been a tough out for basically everybody this year.
1: Does Nashville need to beat Cincy to consider League's Cup a success?
2: Um, ugh, It's tough because I, I said what they need to do is beat a Mexican team. And they absolutely should have beaten a Mexican team, which we will obviously be talking about, but did not. So I think you need to kind of at least add one more victory to the ledger. And um, I think, you know, it, it, the fact that it's Cincinnati gives you an added kind of bit of juice to what it means. But it also makes it more difficult to say, oh, if you don't do this extremely difficult thing, suddenly you failed. Um, so it's, it's tough. But I think at this stage, you'd have to say, yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, I think they have to. Uh, And I think especially given the frustrations they've had against Cincy in the first two outings, the narrow loss, of course, at home early in the season, and then whatever that was at TQL (laughs) Stadium uh, a few weeks ago. We'll get into that matchup and and ask some other important questions about that. But the biggest news came, Tim, before the Toluca match, and the presser right before the Toluca match, which is that Sam Surridge is a boy in gold. Big news, huge for Nashville, Tim, to get that guy in the door. Is it disappointing, though, that delays, whether, you know, self-imposed or in some cases, these things always take longer because of visa Mm -hmm. issues and all that disappointing. He's not going to be able to likely get on the field for the round of 32 and Nashville will have to go fairly deep. You think into the competition for him to get to work his way in to that group.
2: Yeah. It's disappointing, especially since obviously he has been the target for a long time and there were, Travel delays, visa delays—that kind of made this take a little bit longer than it should have. And and while all of those are explanations, none of them kind of remove the disappointment <laughs> that this is a guy that Nashville is excited to have. And and suddenly, it's a little bit less of an opportunity to use him, um, regardless of of what the competition is. I don't think you want to see that and say, oh yeah, you know, we have this guy under contract now, but you know, we'll we'll have to you know take our time waiting to see him. So in the early shout, we will get into that storage. Uh, discussion. What will he bring
1: to Nashville? Plus, a look ahead at Cincy Part Three and a brief look back at that Toluca match, uh, all seven goals combined of it. Um, in the mailbag, is Nashville poised to do any other business during the window? And plus, we will, per your request, build the ideal NSC midfielder. And I'm absolutely going to cheat on my answer and violate. Uh, one of the requests made in that question. <laughs> uh, but first, ML Rose, I, I went to the fairgrounds, Tim, this past weekend, but not for soccer because there was no soccer at the fairgrounds. Uh, it was one of the reasons why I didn't go for soccer. Uh, among, but I went, the many, yeah. uh, among the many. Among the many, exactly. So, but I did go for racing. I'd never been to a race at the Speedway. And I know, um, you know, the Speedway might be a dirty word in this community right now, or at least a polarizing one. It was a fun experience, but I say it because, Tim, I, of course, went to ML Rose first and had a wonderful time with an outstanding new menu item that I will tease for our ad later in the show, uh, which means I don't know what to talk about now, except that I went
2: there. (laughs) And I will. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, let me come save you here. (laughs) <laughs> the, the thing that we talk about all the time is how ML Rose is is a great place for soccer fans and for especially NSC fans to go. That is not the only reason to go there. And we talk about the food. We talk about the drink. We talk about how great all these things are. And we almost always do it in the context of, of going to a soccer match or watching a soccer game or or occasionally college football, because this is you know your college football podcaster's favorite soccer podcast, <laughs> whatever the case may be. But everybody in the community is extremely welcome at, at ML Rose, whether you are going to the fairgrounds for racing, whether you are not going to the fairgrounds at all, whether you're in, um, you know, either the, uh, the, the West Nashville neighborhood or the Melrose neighborhood or the Capitol view neighborhood. If you're in Lebanon, is it Lebanon? Is that where the other one is? No, Mount Juliet, no, Mount Juliet. Juliet. Close. There we go. Wilson you know, County. Th- yeah. <laughs> the, the, there's uh there's enough, there's enough reason to go there just on its own virtues. And if you're in the area, it's an even better reason to go as well. Uh, I think you just spoke an additional
1: location into existence. Uh, Lebanon. Uh, Let's ML make Rose. it happen, folks. Let's do it. Uh, other thing I love about, about ML Rose, you know, when you go to a sports bar at kind of a, a non-peak sports time, it really it kind of bugs me when they have like whatever the ESPN embrace debate crap is on that you don't care if you can hear it. <laughs> This is a Saturday. It was not a peak sports moment, but they had live sports on. It was the Angels and the Blue Jays. It was not the game of the year. Like, I got hit in the face with a pitch, which was something. But that's Wait, the. Wait, how is this not the game of the year? <laughs> I mean, it was kind of. Well, for that guy, it sure was because, you know, he's going to remember that <laughs> one, or maybe he won't. Uh, he's OK, by the way. I uh, just, uh, we care about his safety. But what was great, like, I love something on, something to talk about. I was sitting next to a random couple in, like, their 60s, and we started talking about, hey, that guy was hitting the nose with a fastball. Like, just something on. Don't put the crap on that is all verbal, unless Mm -hmm. it's, like, what, nine in the morning and there's no Wimbledon or talk. That's fine. But, like, it was 4 p.m. on a Saturday. They found the sports, and they put them on, and that's what a Melrose will do. It is a sports bar,
3: restaurant, pub
1: gathering place all those things that's not the slogan uh moving on to the early shout
3: obviously naturally I'm a a nine I like playing in the center and I like to have people work off me um I can play on the left on the right but I think yeah naturally I'm I'm more down the center either in a one or a two and um yeah I describe myself maybe as someone who can run in behind hold up play and um yeah ultimately I want to score goals and hopefully that's what I can bring to the team Sam Surridge is a Nashville player. Tim,
1: it was a long saga, but one we long expected. Uh, I'll start with, I guess, the the question here. Is he the ideal Gary Smith striker? Is he that is not the mold of Aki Loba? Does he fit what <laughs> Nashville wants to do up top?
2: Yeah, without getting into what, what Nashville is is willing to play at that position, because you can get different guys. You know, sure. let's not forget that Hani played, has played as even a lone striker at times here, but I think in terms of what Nashville is lacking, he's he's the right thing. He's a guy who everybody's gonna look at his size and say this is this is a header machine that you know Nashville's gonna whip in crosses and then try and put it on his head and he's going to try to score them, which uh you know, from the broader perspective, yes, he can do. That's something that's part of his game. But I think where he's at his best is kind of hanging on the shoulder of that that center back and trying to actually get in transition when there's a little bit of space behind the back line. And that's something that is what Nashville has lacked. Um, Teal Bunbury is supposed to bring that, and at times he does bring the run. Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to sometimes get a foot or head onto the ball, and then other times the finishing has just not been there. We don't need to get into a finishing debate, but I think Sir <laughs> is a guy who is at least going to be able to get into those positions more frequently, so if he messes them up at the same rate, at least there, there's more of them to to eventually convert, and that's what I think his primary asset for this club is going to be. Yes, he can play. As kind of a hold up guy and as a target striker, but he's also a guy who does want to try and make that run in behind. He's not the fastest guy on the planet, but he's plenty fast to make sure that he can hang just at that right moment. And when the ball is played, kind of break in behind. Um, two footed, and that's something that that Nashville has kind of lacked a little bit. We've seen some some pretty poor weak foot finishing um at times for for multiple players on this team. We've also seen Alex Wheel hit a left footed worldie. So let's not let's not get it twisted. But <laughs> and Dan uh, loves- everyone among us can can do it but um yeah it's something that i think Nashville's is going to to relish adding to their arsenal uh,
1: here's what mike there's jacobs no pun intended for you i am going to
2: we're going to get there in a minute
0: actually yeah.
1: thank you for that um here's what mike jacobs says about the new striker
0: the question before was about uh, how, you know how Sam would combine with honey? You know, so much we want to try to do in our attack is, you know, you, know, you hear people talk about wanting to get him help. It's, it's more trying to find someone that complements him. So we talked before about the positional profile, the idea of not only having somebody who was a target player or a striker or a goal scorer, it was trying to look and see what attributes does, you know, probably best fit, like kind of cohesion a lot, best fit with honey, And the idea of having someone good could link up play, for us, I think looking for a center forward who can not only play as a target, and you can play into him and get it back, but also when he can play in the back shoulder and can kind of run in behind. You think so much we do is in transition, scoring off the break. I think Sam just kind of was tailor-made his game for
3: how our team plays. Coming in here, obviously not just him, there's quality players, but him especially, yeah, he's an amazing player. I've seen a lot of highlights of him, and I think I can work well, and I think the reason why obviously Mike wanted me to bring me in is to try and complement his play, uh, not just my own, but – I think we can work really work well off, off each other, and um, yeah, he's he's not just someone who can score goals; he can assist them. And hopefully, he can assist me. I can assist him. Um, he's a technician, and yeah, he's a great player. Obviously, like said, reigning MVP, uh, looking to do it again, and hopefully, I can help him do that.
1: But Tim, you have a good write-up about Surge, his bio, um, in the on your website. ClubCountryUSA.com. Of course, guys want to go and and dig in a little more to his background Uh, in terms of the presser, in terms of what Gary and Mike have said about Surge. Anything jump out at at you? Anything surprise you? Or was it fairly boilerplate in your view of here's what he brings? Here's what we're excited. You know, here are the 18 other deals we didn't get done. Uh, You know, the (laughs) usual press conference stuff.
2: Yeah, I think it was pretty boilerplate. Um, And when you have a situation that everybody's been waiting for this signing for so long. They don't really feel the need to kind of go beyond the boilerplate because everybody's excited with just the the existence of this guy, basically. So I think as the season goes along, and especially once he starts not only making appearances, but once he works his way into the starting lineup to full fitness, I think it's going to be something that you'll not only see more of what he's about, but you'll hear them open up a little bit about what he's bringing and what he was brought in to do. Well, let's bring you three things that you
1: may not know about Sam Surridge. These are our gold nuggets. You know the, the basics. So you probably know that he's played the bulk of his career in the championship. If not, then that's number one that you didn't know. Um, 89 of 172 career matches uh, for multiple teams. Tim, it's hard to directly compare leagues. Generally speaking, fair to say MLS stacks up pretty well to the championship.
2: Yeah there there are definitely very different characteristics MLS is is a much faster league um you get you get Uh, South American, Central American, and Mexican influence in that regard. You get players that want to play a little bit more in transition. The Champo is much more physical. The the championship is going to remind people, you know, obviously there are teams with different characteristics, but, but the characteristic of the league as a whole is maybe a bit more of a Gary Ball reputation using the pejorative version of Gary Ball, not the one that we always try to defend, but it's a similar level of play, but with a different style. And that's something that um, if you're looking at a guy to play a singular position and, and probably a position where he's not going to have to you know, be the guy on the edge who's running up and down the pitch all match, it's a really good fit. Yeah, Nashville's promoting this as,
1: as the signing of a Premier League player, and that's accurate. He comes from the Premier League, Nottingham Forest. I'm calling him more of a championship level striker, though. Just 20 appearances yeah. last year for Forest. We'll get into a little bit some of the futility later last season. So I think just for our our purposes, moving forward, we'll refer to him, at least I'll refer to him as a championship uh, acquisition, um, at least in terms of, of, you know, the spirit of the law is, as opposed to, you know, yes, he was coming straight from the Premier League. Uh, but he's used to joining teams in mid-season for what it's worth. He was brought in for Forest Promotion push a couple seasons ago now, seven goals in 17 matches, which is actually better than it looks. As you might imagine, he didn't just jump into the 11 right away when he was brought in. He found his way into the 11. So he only started seven of those 17, most of them again late in the season. And so what I'm getting to is it shakes out to a goal every 87 minutes for Forrest. So a goal again uh, in a promotion push. So pretty good experience and pretty good results. Had a hat trick against Swansea that pushes that forward a little bit late in the year. Do you think his experience making a difference for Forrest down the stretch a couple seasons ago translates to confidence that he can work his way in similarly for Nashville or differently, different club, different country for the first time? It's just one you can't really compare.
2: I mean, it can't hurt, right? He's done it before and that that helps, but I'm, I'm going to retreat back to my anti-feelings ball corner a little bit <laughs> and say I, the confidence doesn't really mean much to me in the context. I want a guy who has the knowledge and the ability to get into the right spots, like I already mentioned. Um, he's shown that he can do that in the past, and he's shown that he can acclimate quickly to to new uh, circumstances in the past. So however quickly he can learn the patterns of, of both Nashville's system and, and what he can expect his teammates to do pattern-wise, the better for me, I, I think that confidence
1: is important because it leads to chemistry, it leads to asserting yourself on the pitch uh with your teammates. But I think one thing that bridges that gap that I know has been talked about kind of ad nauseum is that there's no language barrier. He he and Gary Smith are gonna speak each other's language, you know, British, which again, we are two people, <laughs> as was it Churchill that said the Americans and the English are two people divided by a common language. Um, they, they will speak each other's language on the pitch too, you would think. And I think that helps him get acclimated. So Confidence for me is more sense of place on the pitch than it is feeling good about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess is the way I would I would put that. Um, this one's for me. This final gold nugget. Uh, Surridge actually played in the Premier League for two different clubs. I initially thought that that Forest was his uh, EPL debut. It was not. He made his debut in February of nineteen for Bournemouth uh, against Tim. You know, Arsenal. You, yes. Yeah, I wanted you to <laughs> say it. Uh, so he came out, he came on for 10 minutes. So he shared the pitch with Alexander Lacazette and Metsut Erzil in his debut. Erzil somehow, yes, was around in 19. Feels like he was at Arsenal like 10 years ago. Um, but last year he struggled Tim, to stay on the pitch in the Premier League. Didn't make a start after January 14th, played just 85 minutes after that. Now, not acclimating to the Premier League is not an indictment necessarily of a yeah. of an mls player right. a lot of great mls players i will
2: i will concede that the premier league might be slightly better than just MLS. a little bit
1: just a little bit except for tottenham but
2: <laughs> on we that I, we can agree
1: i am not worried about a lack of production in the premier league because again we've had some mls legends who haven't always cut it at at mm-hmm. that level that's okay i'm a little more concerned with with the the quick acclamation question he didn't play a lot 85 minutes after january for Forrest. Does that lack of game action make you concerned it might take him longer to acclimate in Nashville?
2: Yeah, to to a certain extent. Um, Look at slow starts for guys like Jander Cadiz and even Shaq Moore after long layoffs. um, They moved in the summer window and and the fact that their season had ended a while back, obviously with Cadiz's situation, um, there was a requirement to quarantine away from the team. He couldn't even be in full training with his team. But the reality is you aren't match fit right away without matches. And when uh, you're even longer removed from playing full matches it's going to take a while to play your ba- way back into shape um you hear guys say it all the time and um, whether or not you believe it um they certainly do <laughs> and that can that can be pretty important is that you cannot practice your way into match fitness and that's something that he's going to have to do um you know whether whether that's making incrementally larger contributions over the course of of regular season or I guess theoretically leagues cut matches or if he's going to have to just you know, play enough in training to jump in I don't think it is necessarily easy and maybe not possible
1: assuming for a moment that another couple weeks is enough time for him to get somewhere resembling match fitness that is assuming he's going to play a Mm -hmm. decent role in the final 10 of the final 12 matches we'll just say for Nashville SC this year do you have a goal expectation for him is there a number you want to pin to this or is it more important the the stuff that he's doing away from goal. If he gets a couple of goals, great, but it's really about teaming up with Hani and kind of adding that that piece you mentioned of guy who can get in between the lines.
2: It, no, I do not want to put a, a prediction or a
1: benchmark on it. We've been awesome burned by that reason. before.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um I, I I think it's something that um obviously you would like to see him become Nashville's second leading scorer behind Hani Mukhtar. And the bar there is obviously not super high right now. I think that's what you would like to aim for, even though he's only going to play half the season. Fair enough. Um, quick recap of Toluca
1: before we preview Cincy and get into our mailbag. Uh, we said, you, you said, and I agreed, like a 5-4 type of match would be good for Nashville, even if they were on the losing end of that for um, goal finishing reasons, for marketing mm-hmm. reasons to get you know Toluca fans entertained. Well, it wasn't five four. I'm sorry
2: to say, but it was four three. Seven combined goals. <laughs> Those two goals that Nashville lacked, really. <laughs> I know.
1: That was it. And hey, there were chances. Uh can Nashville can it be fair to say that Nashville acquitted itself well and the, the fact that they're disappointed they didn't beat a pretty good League MX team is actually probably a good sign, or am I totally spinning that and they should be just one hundred percent bummed at the way that went down?
2: I think not not just the result, but the the way it came about, the mechanism through which the result arrived can hit. Both of those, yes, they played better than Toluca for much of that match, but really uncharacteristic, you know, essentially brain farts from Walker Zimmerman to start it out. Um, you know, from some of the other guys who made the mistakes to lead to the Toluca goals. One, those are generally not replicable, but replicable, but two, they still count. You still lose the match. So, yes, you can be disappointed, but you can be encouraged that, um, you know. We talked about how Toluca considers itself one of the gigantes in in Mexico, and to to go toe for toe with one of the gigantes, when you are realistically not one of the gigantes in MLS or <laughs> one of the giants in MLS, I guess if we're gonna we're just gonna completely anglicize it as, as we move north of the Rio Grande. But, gigantes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the gigants. Once um, <laughs> once once you have established yourself as one of the huge clubs in MLS. This would be really disappointing since you have not yet. I think there are silver linings to the disappointment that I think probably the disappointment is still the overwhelming factor. I I, I said that losing this match meant that you need to beat the t- team that is running away with the supporter shield to feel completely satisfied with the competition. So I think you, there's no way to spin it to say that you shouldn't be disappointed.
1: Sure, I definitely would not indict anybody for being super bummed uh, about about the loss. But
2: in terms of, like you just said, (laughs) indicting people for being super bummed. Hello, your crime is super bummed, super
1: bummed. It is a misdemeanor in 48 states, but the Tennessee legislature (laughs) actually has made it a felony. (laughs) So with that in mind, I mean, like you said, this is a new level of competition, or at least a new type of competition for Nashville. What, were, what, ex, what was exposed about Nashville? What do we learn about Nashville, positively or negatively, against a team like Toluca? That kind of brings something different in, or is it just kind of more the same that we that we observed from this team?
2: Yeah, I think some of it is that that Nashville wasn't necessarily ready for the speed on the counter, and some of that is because Nashville doesn't get countered a lot in MLS because they play to to kind of minimize the opportunity for the opponents to do that. Although, A lot of it is because, like I mentioned, um, you know, players coming out of Mexico, Central America and South America are are often playing a faster brand of game. They might not be faster athletes. I don't think there's a whole lot of guys in Liga de who are faster than Jacob Schaffelberg, for Mm -hmm. example. But teams don't play the same sort of up and down style. And that trickles down to the way the players are developed to play. Nashville was not used to that. You saw a, a few opportunities um, including some that did not result in goals where Nashville was just completely caught out by to Lucas speed. And that's something that um, is obviously not going to be a huge factor in the remainder of the MLS season, for example, but it is something that as this club does want to grow into one of the giants of not just major league soccer, but North America, they're going to want to adjust it. So next up is Cincinnati Friday. If Nashville wins on the road in
1: Cincy, which they have to travel because since he won its group, Nashville finished second, then Nashville would return home for the round of 16. So Cincy, third time this year. Don't need to tell you guys what happened the first two times. Tim, is this the worst possible knockout matchup for Nashville? They don't get the upside of possibly beating a Liga MX team in the round of 32. They play a team that's beat them twice. They have to go on the road. It's a great team. Or do you like seeing Nashville get a chance to rebound quickly after getting swept by the Lions and ending that second match in really poor fashion?
2: yeah, I mean, the uh, the pessimism in me says it's not a it's not just an opportunity to rebound quickly. It's an opportunity to continue losing quickly. But um, I'll be interested to see how FCC approaches the rest of the competition. um as our desire for NSC to take it seriously increased as the supporter shield slipped farther away from reality? does does Pat Noonan take the opposite approach saying, okay, we've gotten out of our group. we've won our group. We've gotten what we need out of this competition. Now we have an opportunity to get. Um, I guess it would be 16 days of rest and, and make that push for the supporter shield. That's something that I think is an interesting kind of characteristic that if Nashville were in the opposite situation and had beaten Toluca, would we be saying, yeah, yeah whatever you get from here is gravy? And, and hopefully Gary Smith remembers to play 11 players, you know, <laughs> so I, I do think that <laughs> FCC's approach is going to be an important thing to monitor if they come out with a full strength lineup. Um, I think Nashville is going to be up against it, quite honestly. But if they do beat an, a full-strength Cincinnati lineup, it adds a whole new level of confidence as they move forward through the rest of the summer. And since he has put out a full-strength lineup so far, they played their DP, Bupenza alongside
1: Vasquez, who had a hat trick against Chivas. That's quite a sentence. He grew up a, a Chivas fan, too. Acosta was beneath them. They played a strong lineup though with a second keeper in. Uh, in that one, they struggled against Sporting Kansas City, but took advantage of SKC getting a red card. Won that one in penalties at home. I, I think they're going to go for this, and I think Nashville should as well. When you've still got two weeks until you play mm-hmm. a competitive match, if you, um, if if you, you know whatever if you lose that's that's the word um how know how, how
2: to, a single elimination bracket works that's what les is trying to describe right it now. is 7 12 a.m in nashville and i'm only got <laughs> one cup of coffee in me right now
1: uh no teal bunbury after a second yellow against Toluca. uh we will weigh in on that yellow in the mailbag but uh, without him how do you line up against fcc
2: yeah i think you go essentially the best available 11 and that really depends i don't think randall layall is going to be back it, it was a couple week injury when he when he did get injured, um, I th- I just swap in Zubak and and keep your speed guys available as like for like subs. Um, br- be able to bring Jacob Schaffelberg on as a substitute for Fafá Pico, and have Hani Mukhtar obviously be the the leader of the of, of the attack and and say okay we're not counting on Ethan Zubak to create offense, but he is a guy who's going to be able to get into some positions and I frankly, the way Bunbury has played, and this is not a slight on Bunbury because we like him as a player. It's just, it's not been a good stretch for him. Right. Is Zuback that much of a downgrade? I'm, I'm not even sure.
1: I, I don't love putting Zubak in there when you could start a Schaffelberg and really get some early action uh, on the road. I, it would surprise me if, if, yeah, they didn't go Zubac. I, I think it makes sense to to have Zuback in and play the same type of game, especially given the template Nashville followed uh in the first half last time at TQL Stadium, where they really mm-hmm. kind of buttoned things down and, and tried to be tough to beat first and foremost. I think Willis comes back in. Panico had started yeah. the Toluca match, which is great. I'm glad he got that experience. I, I just I like Schaffelberg up top in a perfect world with Fafa as a shuttler. But I think that could be a little bit too uh, too risky for a team that when Gary Smith typically sees games like 4-3, which is not often, yeah. he likes to dial things <laughs> back quite often the next match, especially on the road.
2: Yeah, and I, I think I think especially on the road, like you just mentioned, having that that counterattack ability off the bench, nobody else brings the speed that Fafa and Jacob each has. Uh, so you need to have one of them on the bench to be able to change the game late, I think. Well, uh, what is on the bench for me now is
1: a new menu item at ML Rose that uh, will come in quite often uh, into the rotation, and that is—you ready for this? It's a new menu item this month. Dude, the cheese
2: earlier—the cheese earlier really got me. Okay, let's go. Nashville hot cheese curds. Ooh, that
1: yes.
0: interesting.
2: very good. And you
1: wonder, right? It's a cheese curd in Nashville, so you never really know because they probably the, the, the curds probably won't weren't harvested here you know um, you know off the off the cheese curd trees but but it was they were awesome they were they were you know creamy crunchy the the hot chicken spice uh, in case you're you know maybe hot food averse like there was a kick but I would say it's Nashville mild it wasn't wasn't intense didn't have heartburn later that night or anything like that so it's a great blend it was crunchy it was creamy no squeaking because they were fried they're not supposed to squeak once they're fried but the the spice was great. I I highly recommend it. As much as I love the loaded fries, I think they're gonna actually maybe sit on the bench for a few a few weeks, and the hot chicken sorry the hot cheese curds are gonna come in.
2: Yeah, you, you're so used to following hot with chicken there that you I, almost you almost had a major flexing. error. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's that sounds. Uh, I actually made cheese curds the other day. I can guarantee to every single listener that these are better. Than, than the ones that i made so i'm looking forward to checking them out so tim's curds no way yeah don't do that <laughs> so, moving on
1: <laughs> don't do that now oh, you sound like my wife all right mail mailbag time now uh back to the transfer market of course we've talked about sam surge tracy edwards says nashville pending a last minute signing will not utilize the quote u22 gift he says that's
2: very disappointing to me please share your thoughts yeah. I, I mean, U22, I wouldn't characterize it as a gift. The, the ownership still has to pay for a transfer fee and it, you can't sign a, a DP caliber guy or even a TAM caliber guy. It has to be a guy who fits on the budget. So um, realistically, yes, you can get a slightly better player and, and definitely you get them at a lower price point. You get them for $150,000 against the budget or $200,000 if um, depending on the length of their contract and and their age and all sorts of things like that. But um, you, you, the way Nashville sees it is just if you're going to sign a guy who fits under the the roster maximum, which is 650 this year, I believe, um, you can you can sign them through other mechanisms. And as we've seen around the league, I I didn't fully complete my research here, but um the vast majority of U22 signings have have completely sucked. Um, LAFC has been the exception to that. But look at guys that Atlanta has signed um, on the U22 initiative. Look at Rodrigo Pinedo. Um, really didn't work out for Nashville. Like I mentioned with Cotty's earlier, there are circumstances beyond soccer that really um, conspired against them. But um, I don't think it's a situation where you're getting any more of a sure thing. And, and Nashville has avenues that they like to go to to find guys. And I think as the U-22 initiative kind of plays out over a little bit more time, Nashville will make more judicious use of it because they are are using it effectively none right now but it's not something that i don't that i think is is really lacking from what they have right now um yes i would i would like to see them sign another you know younger south american or central american player using it but um the risks of it with a season going the way it is and and those sorts of things it's not any it's not any more guaranteed than Unfortunately, signing a college guy right now. I would love to see a U twenty two player come in, but I think it, it's it would be misguided
1: to expect anybody coming in in that category to contribute in the, mm-hmm. significantly in the second half of the season. I and mean, by definition, these are developmental players. And when it hasn't worked out for Nashville bringing a guy in, you know, before the season, maybe you know we shouldn't expect it to be a priority during the season either. I would love to see some guys brought in, but I think even when that happens we need to have proper expectations for a U22 player. Pinero was cast as some sort of savior on the wing. And, and I think, you know, mm. we, we wish him the best in his
2: career. I think he has skills that are going to make think, him really valuable somewhere. I yeah. think the club was pretty realistic and messaged pretty realistically about yes. the expectations for Pinero. I think people in the fan base uh, who, who don't have a good eye for talent and got themselves worked up about it more than anything but I agree. again that kind of underscores that that it's not it's not a it's a low risk but it's not a high reward necessarily most of the time.
1: Yeah, I heard a heard a story indirectly of, you know, that that well I won't go into the story because it was again, you know, an off the record type of deal. But but let's just say the acumen um, the under the tactical understanding of a player like that, you know, coming in, you know, it was his first time really studying and understanding defense and uh, mm-hmm. that's not going to work on a Gary Smith team. So the point is that the time you spend the investment in, in trying to get a player like that up to speed is best done in the off season. And wasn't going to be a big thing. I think this, this season for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Uh, John Mueller with the thought that surge is the ideal Gary Smith nine on paper and Walker, Jack Lucas, or Gary Smith center backs, how would you build the ideal Gary Smith midfielder? Uh, and he says, saying Dax or Anibal, but younger is cheating. Um, and that, um, I mean Dax, but younger is, is obviously. I was going to say Anibal, I will but not, younger. Yeah,
2: I will not uh, allow him to shame me into, into <laughs> saying
1: something other than what is accurate. So you've got young Dax. I've got young Anibal. I guess some blend of the two, but they kind of share the the traits that that make them assets, right? First and foremost, mm-hmm. fearless in defense, attitude. You know, leader on the field, good vision going forward, and in Audible's case, extraordinarily underrated passing ability going forward as well. I think we just described a good midfielder in general. What makes a Gary Smith central mid different from what maybe other managers might rate as as a good central mid?
2: I think I mean everybody's looking for lateral mobility for defensive purposes but what Gary wants more than anything is the ability to to see the game defensively but also be able to turn the game into offense as soon as your team gets the ball back because a lot of team central midfielders are not such an important engine of getting the ball forward. Just the way Nashville plays, they want those guys to hit the pass quickly to get it into the attacking third, and, and then kind of let the attackers do their thing up there without too many numbers pushing forward. You need that to happen quickly. I think that's probably the one thing that is is the most um, you know underrated in terms of what a what a layperson might see, but is so important to a Gary Smith uh, club more than anybody else.
1: Rapid fire, final three mailbag questions before you get you out of here. We get you out of here. Logan, how much of the sending off in the Toluca match is on Teal? He says, I've seen fellow supporters say it continues NSC's lack of discipline because he was on a booking and seemed to argue vociferously to the official. But how often do we see players get a sending off for yelling at the officials? We don't know what he said, I think is my first answer there. Uh, you know, I think it's on Teal because I think, again, it's a 50-50 situation where you have to know better um when CONCACAF refs are in instead of pro referees you don't have that familiarity maybe you don't know your limits don't test them to me the bigger issue is was the first yellow being maybe not not the um the best yellow once you're on that yellow you have to not push your limits um that that's you know mm-hmm. yelling at a ref. descent usually will not get you a second yellow but again I don't know what was said
2: Yeah, it can be it can be a a weak yellow card and each of them can be a weak yellow card, whatever, whatever you want to believe. But at the end of the day, a veteran player has to know when he's walking the line, when he's crossing the line. He didn't in that circumstance. Most officials might not give him that card. Um. The reality is the official has the authority to do so. That's what he's on the field for. And, and you have to be able to to fit yourself into the box that he expects you to fit into.
1: Yeah, it would have been really nice to go at least a couple of games without a red card uh, for this team from a veteran. And I think that is a trend that continues. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's, it's these 50 50 situations. A lot of these reds and often second yellows here were not egregious, you know, nobody went in two footed and tried to break an ankle. It was stuff that you should, you should not test. It was 50, 50 type stuff where you just kind of have to know, have to know better. Um, Ed Kaiser, could you talk a little bit about Josh Bauer? How high do you think his ceiling is and how has he been progressing and developing with recent playing time? I can tell you from, from being in person to the Colorado match, there were some moments of miscommunication, some naive passes from Bauer, but I think Gary Smith is right to praise his development. I don't think this is probably an everyday starter in major league soccer anytime soon, but Tim, I think he's acquitted himself well in reserve duty.
2: Yeah, I think he's, I I, I mean, how high is this ceiling? I, I don't think we're too far from seeing it, but that's not a problem. He has shown that he can come in and, and play a job at the major league soccer level. He's not going to be a star. He's not on a Jack Mayer type of trajectory, um, but he's a guy who can come in and do a job and, and, what we saw in the first 3 years of Nashville SC was that there was a really good starting 11 and some promising young players you didn't have as many guys who could come in and, and be guaranteed or close to guaranteed to do a job without needing to push for more you know playing time without that being a a stepping stone to their future and i think bauer kind of sees that where he fits right now just continue doing what you're doing and and that's what something um that's what <clears throat> He sees as as you know his path to continuing the way he's going, rather than saying, "Okay, I I need to get out and and you know find a, a new contract or something like that." Final question: Nashville
1: FC stats between MLS Open Cup, CCL Leagues Cup, and potentially competition competition against South American clubs. The schedule is packed. How would you adjust the schedule, and which competition would you cut to lower the amount of games played? They're gonna, I think potentially cut the open cup or the open cup at least yeah. is the one that's going to fall you, you heard public
2: well, i think comments. i think nashville i think nashville let's see it might be self-selecting out of ccl at this stage too yes but. i think you're right
1: uh <laughs> definitely think you're right on that one uh we've heard some less than favorable comments from MLS executives yeah. you know about the open
2: cup not putting the league in a good light i i really love the open cup i think i think, like I think a big part time. of that is angling for apple to be able to take over the, awesome. the broadcast so, rights as is, is part of that but yeah
1: which would require some some facilities upgrades that might, you know, merit MLS teams hosting uh, more or, or automatically hosting. Uh, I I think honestly, the way the schedule hits this year though, I, I kind of like, I think they've spread it out well, where teams don't have just a ton of midweek matches uh, I like the way they gave the break for Leagues Cup. So teams can really focus on that. The one change I would make, honestly, I really like Leagues Cup. It's not going anywhere, but I would love to integrate Leagues Cup with CCL, have expanded access to it. It's already growing. It's going to grow to, I think, 32 teams coming mm-hmm. up. So what if we just made that a, a competition throughout the season? Uh, you negate the advantage that League MX teams have over MLS teams when it's early in the MLS season. If you spread those games out, um, put more teams in there and have it be a, you know, Champions League style group competition that extends throughout the year. I don't know if you can do that and keep Leagues Cup in in its current format, but I think that's the move I make to try to reduce the burden while increasing the uh, access to and appeal of Continental competition.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's the way to go is to um, make Leagues Cup something that is either part of CCL or kind of, you know, it takes a bit more of a uh, kind of a Prelim sort of feeling to it. And I think you're going to see league of MX and MLS play competitions together. It's always going to to be something that they strive as they, as they try to make this continent better uh, in the global soccer world than it is currently seen. I think that, that that's not going away, but you need to kind of condense some of the ones that are maybe a little bit redundant. Um, I would, I would like to see MLS with a slightly shorter schedule. Um, obviously there are things out of anyone's control. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you heard about the global pandemic, but that has squeezed some of these schedules in a way that that is not going to be the case in the in the future. Same with a Winter World Cup that is in some people's control uh, at Qatar. I am fully available if you want to uh, have me try to control any of that. Uh, I'll send you my routing numbers, but but I, I do think that. Um, I think more than reducing the number of games played, I think increasing roster sizes or allowing for more flexibility in some of these competitions on on the roster. If Nashville could go out and play a a Huntsville heavy squad in an early round of the U.S. Open Cup and still not feel like they're going to lose, I think it, it goes a long way towards helping develop talent in addition to not running all these guys into the ground, too. Tim's routing number will be in the show notes. Uh, so before we get out of here, you,
1: you like many, either stayed up late or woke up early, whatever you want to call it, to watch the uh, U.S. women draw Portugal, barely squeak yeah. through uh, in second place to the knockout round. I guess if you want to give any words of uh, commiseration for those who who did the same.
2: Yeah, uh, it it stinks. Um, Vlado Andonovski uh, is a good, a really good guy. He's considered an extremely good guy. He is not a, a good soccer coach. He's not a good fit for this team. Maybe, maybe he is a good coach, just not fit for a team that has the best talent in the world, or at least very close to the best talent in the world. As you look at like the Englands and France is getting closer to what the United States can bring on the women's side. But um, this team is going to have to really pull itself together and and accomplish much more than they have looked capable of through three group stage matches so far early in the match as they as they were ticking down the the goals that the dutch were scoring against vietnam I was like okay yeah we still have time to do this we still have time to do this and as it gets you know midway through the second half I'm like okay just don't give up the loser here because that would be absolutely That's terrible just hold on for the draw maybe get the one nothing win with a bit of an insurance goal there but Um, That's not how it's supposed to feel watching the U.S. women and hopefully they they pull it together and and surprise us through the rest of the competition.
1: We'll likely be Sweden in the knockout round. uh, Sweden-Argentina play at 2 a.m. Central Time on Wednesday. And of course, it is Cincinnati for the Boys in Gold on Friday. Stay tuned for recap content from that next week. And uh, thanks for listening today. A reminder to hop on, rate, review, subscribe uh, to the show. And really, again, if you give us a five-star rating, we will read it on on the show. I say that and hadn't checked in like two weeks to see if we have any new ones. <laughs> we um, will eventually read but it. But we will show. get to it once we remember to check and stroke our egos. Uh, so uh, again, thanks thanks for listening and being part of this community, uh, eager to bring you uh, what's coming for uh, for this club uh, as they uh turn their focus to the round of 32 in league's cup thanks to ml rose for the sponsorship moon taxi for the jams and the 440 sports network for outstanding partnership we'll talk to you guys soon